Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the peoples righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're the one who wrote the scriptures, and you wrote them so for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So open our eyes to understand your word as we hear it today. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from it. Help us to hear your word and to receive it, not as doers only, and not as hearers only, but as doers. May we receive your word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the 1700s, in Britain and America, those countries were in a state of spiritual decline. The churches there, there was, had fallen from the times when they had been spiritually stronger. There was a lot of lukewarmness, and there was very little attempt to take the gospel uh, to other nations in missions. But then the Lord sent a revival in the 1700s through the preaching of men like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, and many others. The Lord sent a revival that we call the Great Awakening here in America. In Britain, it's called the Evangelical Revival. And that revival transformed those countries. The churches were so strengthened that in the 1800s, it was the churches in Britain and America that would take the gospel to the nations, to all over the world. It was God blessed those nations, the churches in those nations with revival, and they then blessed the nations with the gospel. And that pattern is what this Psalm, Psalm 67, is all about. Psalm 67 is, shows us that God blesses his people so that we would bless the nations with the gospel so that he would be worshiped by all the nations. God blesses us so we may bless the world with the gospel so he may be worshiped by all nations. And Psalm 67 shows us three aspects of God's blessing. The nature of God's blessing, the purpose of God's blessing, and the result of God's blessing. First, Psalm 67 shows us the nature of God's blessing. Verse one says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. These words are very similar to the blessing that God had told the priests in the Old Testament with the blessing that they were to bless the people with. That blessing is found in Numbers chapter six, and it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's mercy is his undeserved kindness and favor towards sinners. Well, he doesn't give us what we deserve. And when he shows us grace, it's showing unmerited favor. It's giving us what we don't deserve. What does it mean for God to shine his face on us? Well, if you've seen a parent who's just beaming at their child, or just generally speaking, when someone is smiling at you, that means that they're, actually, that they're happy to see you, that they're pleased with you. And when the Bible talks about God shining his face on us, it's a way of saying God is showing his favor, his approval, and his love. But how is it possible for God to shine his face on people who are sinful? Because all of us deserve God's wrath and curse because we are sinners and rebels against God by nature. But God has provided a way for people to see his smiling face. The Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. He bore the penalty our sins deserve. And those who trust in him have their sins removed and they're given the perfect righteousness of Christ so that God can look at us and show us his smiling face. And it is those whom God has blessed in the beloved whom God blesses, those who are in Christ. Is that you today? Number six, we, we see that this psalm was based on number six, where God had told the priests God's blessing, how God was to bless them. And knowing this, this psalm here, the psalmist is asking God to bless him using that blessing. He's asking God to do what God has promised to do in his word. He's praying the Bible. And that's what we're to do. 1 John 5:14 says, "Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us." God's will is found in the Bible. So pray the Bible. We can have faith to pray when we're praying what God has promised to do in his word. A wonderful tool for praying the Bible is a little book called Matthew Henry's Method for Prayer. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, but he also wrote a book that was called A Method for Prayer. And what he did in that book was he went through the whole Bible and he collected together scriptures that show us how to pray to God. There are scriptures that show us how we are to pray, adore God, how we're to praise him and worship him. Scriptures to show us how we are to confess our sins. Scriptures to show us how we're to ask God for the things we need. And scriptures to thank God and scriptures to pray for others. And that that book is just filled with the scriptures and it's a wonderful tool to know how to pray the scriptures. So pray the Bible. That the psalmist in this psalm is not only praying for God to bless him, he's praying for God to bless him, but not only him. Notice that the psalmist prays, may God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. The psalmist is praying for God to bless his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's praying for God to bless the people of God, for God to bless his church. Brothers and sisters, pray for the church. 
Isaiah 62 says, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. In the hymn, uh, there's a hymn that Timothy Dwight, which was Jonathan Edwards' grandson wrote, and he talks about our attitude we ought to have toward the church. For her, my tears shall fall, for her, my prayers ascend, to her, my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. So pray for the church, because as God blesses the church, we can be equipped to bless the nations. Just like when God blessed Britain and America with the Great Awakening, they were blessed to bless the nations by taking the gospel to the world. Not only does Psalm 67 show us the nature of God's blessing, it also shows us the purpose of God's blessing. And the Psalm gives three reasons why God blesses his people. The first is that God may be known. Verse two says, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God blesses so his way may be known. What is God's way? It's the way of life that he has given for people to live, and it's revealed in the Bible, but especially in the law of God. That we find that summarized in the Ten Commandments, but it shows how people are to live. God wants his way to be known, and that's why when we seek to share the gospel, it's important that we share the law of God, that people know what God's law says. Because showing the law shows people what God requires of them. It shows people how God requires them to live, and it shows them how far they fall short of that standard. And that there, when we speak the law, it should, should be to drive people to see that they haven't kept the law perfectly, and so they need a savior. The Psalm also says that God wants his salvation to be known. And of course, that salvation is revealed in the gospel. God wants this gospel to be known. So after speaking the law, we can then share the good news of the gospel, that when people see that they have broken God's law, that they have no hope, that they deserve hell, then we can share the good news of the gospel that God has provided a way of forgiveness, that there is good news because Jesus Christ came and died for sins, that, all, that sinners who put their trust in him can have their sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. So, brothers and sisters, God wants the law and his gospel to be known. So let's make them known to others. The second reason why God blesses us is so that he may be worshiped. Verse three says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse five, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verses three and five are identical. They're repeated for emphasis. This is a very important point. This psalm is full of excitement. The psalmist is so excited that he wants to see all the nations of the world praising God, worshiping God. That God's purpose is that he may be worshiped. 
And that is part of God's purpose for blessing us and his purpose for missions is that he would be worshiped. John Piper puts this uh, very well in this quote from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He writes, missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 97, let the peoples praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67, our passage. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't command what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So missions begins and ends in worship. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Is that the prayer of your heart? Do you come to worship excited that we have the privilege of worshiping the true and living God, that we get to do so with others who have been redeemed by Christ? And do you long for others who don't know the Lord to be able to come and worship him? Is worship the fuel and the goal of your missions in evangelism? The third reason that God blesses us is so that he may be enjoyed. Verse four says, oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God's salvation brings people joy. As Jesus was teaching his disciples, he told them in John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. But what do we see in the world today? Well, we see that people are sad. They're lonely. They're depressed. They're, they're in darkness. They have no hope. They're without God and without hope in the world. And nations groan under tyranny. And that's because people don't know the true and living God, but they worship idols instead. Those idols can take many forms. There are many false gods in the world. Uh, but there are also idols that people can have. They can make uh, their pleasure an idol. They can make money an idol. Comfort can be an idol. The state can be an idol. Many things can be an idol. And Psalm 16.4 says that their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. But the Psalm goes on to say, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's salvation brings joy and God wants the nations to share in that joy as they receive the gospel. The joy of the Lord also causes people to sing. We see that in this psalm. These nations are singing to God for joy because of his salvation. 
in Psalm 40 says that God puts a new song in our mouths. After they were beaten for preaching the gospel, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison in Philippi. But what did they do there? It says that they prayed and they sang hymns to God. And the Lord sent an earthquake which shook the prison and caused all the, pr the prison doors to be shaken. And then the Lord used that to give Paul and Silas the opportunity to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer. And when the Philippian jailer had come to the Lord, it says he believed and he was baptized along with his household. And then he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. How joyful are you? Do you have a joy that is evident to others? Is it something that unbelievers can see, that they can know that, that there is a joy and there is a hope that you have that, that they don't have? That's, we have a hope and a joy that the world doesn't have. So let's give a reason for the hope that's within us with gentleness and respect. And let's be doing that so that others can come to share in the joy that we have received as they turn to the Lord. So brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord and may the joy of the Lord be your strength. God's purpose is to be known, to be worshiped, and to be enjoyed. And that purpose is summarized in the Westminster Shorter Catechism's first question, which says, what is the chief end of man? That's a way of saying, what is man's purpose? Why does he exist? Why did God create people? The answer is that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is God's purpose. Well, God's purpose is to be known, worshiped, and enjoyed by all nations, not just by a few people. His desire is to be true of all nations. This point is made over and over again in this Psalm. Verse two, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Verses three and five, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse four, O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse seven, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. God's purpose is to save the nations and to bring people from every nation to salvation. This was his purpose, uh, not in the Old Testament as well. When God called Abraham to himself in Genesis 12, he told him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham and his seed were blessed so that they would be a light and a blessing to the nations. That's why God blesses his people to be a blessing. And that, that promise of in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, of course, finds fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately, but also in us as we are united to Christ by faith. Not only did, was God's, God's purpose to be a blessing to the nations, but we see this strongly reinforced by the fact that Jesus died for people from every nation. Revelation 5 says, they sang a new song saying, 
you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Jesus died for people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that's why we're called to go and make disciples of all the nations. That Jesus died for people from every nation, that should fire us up for evangelism. We have been given the privilege of sharing the gospel so that those whom God has chosen for salvation from every nation may come to faith in him. Henry Martin was a man who exemplified this passion to see the nations come to worship the Lord. He was an Englishman who lived in the early 1800s. He was a brilliant scholar who studied at Cambridge, and he could have lived a very comfortable life in England. But he chose to become a missionary to India and Persia, which Persia is modern-day Iran. When Martin arrived in India in the 1806, he was heartbroken when he saw the idolatry all around him. His heart was moved just like the Apostle Paul's was uh, when he was in Athens and saw all the idols. Henry Martin wrote this, my heart was ready to burst at the dreadful state to which the devil had brought my poor fellow creatures. What saddened Martin the most was hearing unbelievers blaspheme God's name. He wrote, I could not endure existence if Jesus were not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were to be always thus dishonored. With that motivation, Henry Martin worked very hard. He translated the New Testament into Urdu, a language spoken in India, and Farsi. Before he died of sickness when he was only 31. Brothers and sisters, ask God to give you a passion like that to see the nations brought to Christ and pray for the nations. There are many different nations in the sense of ethnic people groups right here in Omaha and in this area. Do you long for them to hear the gospel? Do you pray for them? Do you have a heart, not just for your own nation, but for all the nations? It is right that we have a heart for America. We ought to pray for our nation, but we ought not only to pray for our nation, but for all nations. A wonderful resource in learning to pray for the nations is Operation World. This is a book that helps to pray knowledgeably for the nations. They collect information on every nation in the world and provide detailed prayer requests that can explain what that nation is, how many Christians there are in that nation, what are the people groups, and what are the prayer needs. And not only do they have a book, but they also have an app and they keep their information up to date. But this this and many other tools are, are wonderful tools to be praying for the nations. Let's pray for the nations. Psalm 67 so says that God blesses us so that he would be known and worshiped and enjoyed by all the nations, but he blesses us so that we would be a blessing to others. So what is your attitude toward the blessings that God gives you? We have all been blessed with something. Here in America, we have far more material blessings than many other people. But no matter how rich or poor we might be in this country, or we, we have all been given blessed with something, whether it's time or talents or possessions or something the Lord has given us. 
But do you see those blessings as a stewardship from the Lord, something the Lord has given you to bless others, including those who don't know the Lord? And do you seek to use those blessings to bless others? Children, it's, you're not too young to be thinking about blessing others with what God has blessed you. In 1833, there was a 10-year-old boy named Archibald Alexander Hodge. He had a younger sister named Mary Elizabeth Hodge, and they wrote a letter. They were the children of Charles Hodge, who was a Presbyterian theologian who would train generations of pastors and missionaries at Princeton Seminary. And these little children, Archibald and Mary, gave a letter to a man that their father had trained who was going off to be a missionary. He was going to be a missionary to the little island of Ceylon, which is the modern day country of Sri Lanka, and that's just off the coast of India. Their letter said this, Dear heathen, the Lord Jesus Christ hath promised that the time shall come when all the ends of the earth will be his kingdom. And God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. And if this was a promise made by a being who cannot lie, why do you not help it to come sooner by reading the Bible and attending to the words of your teachers and loving God and renouncing your idols, take Christianity into your temples. And soon there will not be a nation, no, not a space of ground as large as a footstep that will want a missionary. My sister and myself have by small self-denials procured $2 which are enclosed in this letter to buy tracts and Bibles to teach you. Archibald Alexander Hodge and Mary Elizabeth Hodge, friends of the heathen. <laughs> These, the, this boy and this girl had a faith in God that God would bring the nations to embrace the gospel and they wanted to give their little bit of money that they had to that end. And that's something that each in our own way we can do, even the little children. A.A. A. Hodge would grow up to be a missionary himself. He went to India and when he, his health was broke down and he had to leave India, he would actually succeed his father at Princeton Seminary and teach more pastors and missionaries. Who God blesses us so that he may be known and worshiped and enjoyed by all nations. Thirdly, Psalm 67 shows us the result of God's blessing. And there are three results of God's blessing that this psalm mentions. The first result is that the nations joyfully worship and serve King Jesus. Verse four says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the peoples righteously and govern the nations on earth. The word for govern here means to guide. God has governed the nations as part of his eternal kingdom, but the psalmist is looking forward to something else. He's looking forward to a time when the nations are joyfully praising and worshiping God and he is guiding them in his ways and ruling them. The nations are looking to him for guidance and rule. And that's a time that was prophesied in the Bible and that is the time that the psalmist is looking forward to is the time of Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom began when Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven to sit reign at God's right hand. Jesus Christ has been exalted to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says that he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. But how is it possible that people who hate God by nature can come to be, to be worshiping him joyfully and to be wanting to follow in his ways and be governed by him? Well, that takes a miracle of God. And Ezekiel 36 describes what, how God works that miracle. Verses 25 through 27 say, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. When God brings someone to himself, converts someone, he gives them a new heart, a heart that wants to obey God. And he gives them the Holy Spirit that enables them to more and more obey him. And so those whom God has converted, their hearts are changed so that they want to obey him. They want to submit to King Jesus. And then they're discipled to obey everything Jesus has commanded, as the Great Commission says. And that means to obey him in every area of their lives. Jesus' ways are ways of joy and peace because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And God's blessings flow when an individual, a family, a county, or a nation submits to King Jesus. Throughout history, there have been entire tribes and entire nations that have come to submit to King Jesus to be governed and ruled by him. And that's something this psalm is looking forward to and celebrating. But what does that look like? Well, one, one time when this happened in history, and there have been many others, is with the Indians of Massachusetts in the 1600s. In the 1600s, Indians in Massachusetts had lived in darkness without the light of the gospel for centuries. Um, at the time when the Puritans came to New England to found our country, these Indians were living in darkness. They practiced polygamy. They wore almost no clothes. The men were very lazy, and they would just hunt and fight, while the women did most of the work, including the farming and the cooking. And the Indians were constantly fighting each other. If someone killed, one would kill an Indian, and then another one would, they would kill back, and there would be uh, these blood feuds where many hundreds of people would be killed. That was just how they lived. They also had priests or witch doctors that they called powwows. And these powwows would heal people with demonic power, like witch doctors do in many countries. And the Indians were terrified of these, these powwows and of the demons who had the power behind them. But in the 1640s, the Lord put a burden on a man's heart to bring the gospel to these Indians. That man was named John Eliot. He was a Puritan pastor who had come to New England, and he dedicated his life to be a missionary to these Indians. He's sometimes called the apostle to the Indians or the first American missionary. Like, like pioneer other missionaries, John Eliot began learning the Indian language, which was Algonquin. And this was not an easy task. The language was not written down, it was only oral. So he had to figure out what was the grammar, the structure of the language, uh, so he could try to put it in writing. And he learned as, as he was studying the language that the Algonquin words were very, very long. For example, 
Kumog kudan natu tumu etait aon gununarash was their word for our question. And many of their other words were also that long. But John Eliot persevered because he wanted to see these Indians come to know the Lord. He wrote, prayer and pains through faith in Christ Jesus will do anything. Eventually, he was able to learn enough of the language that he could start to create a written form for it and start to translate the Bible into it. And eventually, when he knew the language well enough, he went to preach to the Indians in their own language. The first time he did so, he picked as his text Ezekiel 37.9. That says, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O wind, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. What Eliot didn't know was that there was an Indian chief sitting listening to him preach. That chief's name was Waban, and Waban was the Algonquin word for wind. So when Eliot said, Say to the wind, the Indians heard it as, Say to Waban. The, El the Indian Wabin thought that Eliot was speaking directly to him. And the Lord used that to touch Wabin's heart and to draw him to himself. And when Wabin was converted, he as the chief was able to use his influence to share the gospel with his fellow Indians and to cause many of them to come to the Lord. The, and when the Indians came to the Lord, their lives completely changed. They're, they stopped killing each other. They started wearing clothes. The, women, the men began to help the women with the, growing the crops and planting the food. They also learned how to use tools. They, women learned how to spin. And these Indians became so diligent and industrious that they, and uh, capable with their tools that they could build bridges that were just as good as the bridges that the English were building at the same time. Not only that, but their attitude toward death changed completely. Before they had been terrified of death and dying, but now they would die in peace and hope because they trusted in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. These converted Indians were known as praying Indians. And John Eliot believed that it was important that these Indians have their own communities so that they could live together, they could work together, and they could govern themselves by the Bible. And that as they did so, they could be a light and an example to their fellow Indians who could see how their lives had changed and could see the beauty of living and walking in God's ways. And the hope was that that would cause other Indians to come to know the Lord. Well, John Eliot, therefore, he would encourage the Indians, the praying Indians, to form praying towns. And they did so, and this is the covenant of the Indian praying town of Nautic. We are the sons of Adam. We and our fathers have a long time been lost in our sins, but now the mercy of the Lord beginneth to find us out again. Therefore, the grace of Christ helping us, we do give ourselves and our children to God to be his people. He shall rule us in all our affairs, not only in our religion, and affairs of the church, but also in all our works and affairs in this world. God shall rule over us. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. 
The wisdom which God hath taught us in his book, that shall guide us and direct us in the way. O Jehovah, teach us wisdom to find out thy wisdom in the scriptures. Let the grace of Christ help us, because Christ is the wisdom of God. Send thy spirit into our hearts, and let it teach us. Lord, take us to be thy people, and let us take thee to be our God. The Indians' lives had been completely changed by the gospel. John Eliot would go on to translate the entire Bible into Algonquin and also many other books, and his efforts would inspire others to be missionaries. He wrote about the change that God had wrought in the Indians. The deepest estrangement of man from God is no hindrance to his grace, nor to his spirit of grace. What nation or people ever so deeply degenerated since Adam's fall as these Indians, and yet the spirit of God is working upon them. That Holy Spirit that worked upon the Indians continues to work today. He's just as powerful today. Um, and this has happened in recent times. There have been whole tribes, villages coming to the Lord in Ethiopia and in India and in many other countries. And we should have faith that God can work that transformation today, just like he did then, that the gospel is powerful. Jesus came to save all kinds of people, no matter how lost people seem to be, let's never think that someone is beyond the reach of God's grace, that God can't draw them to himself and bring them to repentance and faith. And also, don't think that a nation is beyond the reach of God's grace if it repents. Nineveh was a very wicked city, but when Jonah preached, it repented. Jeremiah 18 says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So have hope, pray and work for God to bring America and all nations to repentance and trust in the transforming power of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Not only does God's blessing cause nations to worship and serve Jesus, it also causes the earth to be fruitful. Verse six says, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. Psalm 67 is celebrating God's blessings on the harvest. It, it may have been written in part to celebrate the harvest that would have been sung when the people of God were thanking God and praising him for his blessings and then thinking of how they wanted those blessings to be used to bless the nations. But it reminds us that we're totally dependent on God for blessing us in every area, physically and spiritually. And God blesses not only spiritually, but also physically. God has made people to be stewards of his creation. And when people take dominion of that creation in a way that honors him and his word, he blesses them with fruitfulness and he causes the earth to yield its blessing. Deuteronomy 11 says, it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, 
that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So the Lord blesses people materially, but also the harvest can also be spiritual. The Lord, uh, that's why we're to pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest, that people whom God is seeking would come and be gathered in to worship him. This Psalm shows a beautiful spreading circle of blessing. Think about it like this. God blesses us, his people, so that we would share the gospel to spread that blessing so that when others come to believe in Jesus, they would share in that blessing. And then God would bless us more and then we would share the gospel more. And so that God's blessing would spread further and further and further out till it covers the earth. That's a beautiful thing to be working and hoping and praying for. God's blessing brings fruitfulness to the earth itself. There's a third result of God's blessing, and that is that God would be feared. Verse seven says, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. What does it mean to fear God? Well, there are two very different kinds of ways that people can fear God. Two very different kinds of fear. There is a sinful fear of God. That is a fear that drives people away from God. It's a fear that's afraid of being punished by God. It's, uh, this is the fear that Adam and Eve had when they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. And when they heard the Lord coming, they hid from him. When the Lord found them, Adam said to the Lord, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. This is like the fear of a, of a child if his parents have told him not to eat the car cookie from the cookie jar and he does that and then he's afraid, not because he's sorry that he, took, he ate the cookie, but if he's afraid that he might be caught, that he might get in trouble and be punished. Uh, this fear is like the fear of a criminal who's not sorry that he's committed a crime, but he's sorry that he's gonna be punished. And that's the kind of fear that even demons have. James says that the demons believe and tremble. But that is not the fear of God that Psalm 67 is talking about. Because there is another fear of God. This is the right fear of God. This fear is very different. This is a fear that is full of reverence and honor and respect for God. And it's a fear where we have God in so much respect that we're afraid of displeasing him or disobeying him. It's like the fear of a child who honors and respects and loves their parents so much that they don't wanna do anything to upset their parents. And that fear of God is something that the Holy Spirit produces in people's lives. That's a fear that is actually fueled by a love for God. Psalm 112 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord who delights greatly in his commandments. This is a fear that hates sin Proverbs 8 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And this fear is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom because only when someone has this right fear of God can they truly know, understand, and know how to live in this world. This is a fear that makes someone stand in awe of God for his mercy and his grace as well as his judgment. And this fear of God drives out other fears, 
drives out the wrong fear of God, but also drives out the fear of man. Proverbs 14, 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. As the gospel goes forth and people come to faith in Christ, their hearts are changed so that they rightly fear God. And this is part of the purpose of God's purpose. Psalm 130 says, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Revelation 15, four says, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Psalm 67 says that the, all the ends of the earth will fear God. That is very encouraging. That should give us great hope as we seek to evangelize others. So do you fear the Lord? What kind of a fear of the Lord do you have? Is it the kind of fear of God that is just afraid of being punished, just afraid of hell? Or is it the fear that, that God gives? The fear that is a reverent childlike fear of God as our heavenly father whom we don't want to displease. If you don't have that fear of God, then repent and turn to the Lord and ask him to give you that fear. So the result of God's blessing is that God is feared. Brothers and sisters, God blesses us so that we may bless the world with the gospel, so that he may be feared and worshiped, praised, served by all the nations. So let's make the gospel known. Make known to others as God gives opportunity, his law and his gospel. And pray, pray, pray for the nations and pray for the church and pray for the nations that God would bless us so we may be a blessing and pray using the scriptures. And let's pray so that God would be worshiped and feared by all the nations. That's what this psalm is all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine on us so that your way would be known on earth and your salvation would be known in every nation. Give us opportunities to share the gospel. Stir up our hearts to have zeal to see your word, to share your word with others that they may come to know and serve you and trust in you. Lord, we long for you to pour out your spirit so that the nations are brought to joyfully worship and serve you and that the earth is fruitful and that you are feared. We pray that you would do this for your glory and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.